0: Welcome to The Irrational Realist, a lighthearted take on everything from A to Y, because I know nothing about Zen zombies or zebras, so why fake it? Wow, episode two already. Time does fly, doesn't it? You know, I have my wife to thank for this journey down the road of podcasting. She wasn't totally on board when I first discussed starting a podcast, but soon saw that I was passionate about this. But internally, I still wasn't 100% certain I could pull this off. So for my birthday, she bought me a book entitled Everybody Has a Podcast Except You. Great book if you're thinking of starting one, by the way. I started reading it and realized soon on that this was something I couldn't only just pull off but possibly excel in. In short, thank you, Kim, for Everybody Has a Podcast But You and believing that I could do this. Now go out and find me a book entitled Everybody Wins the Powerball But You. Episode two, let us relish our food. A very large man once said, my doctor told me to stop having intimate dinners for four unless there were three other people. That's good advice unless you're traveling in the U.S. looking for the best of the best when it comes to food. You know, it's pretty safe to say that even with absolutely no prior research that uh, food has been around for pretty much ever. I mean, we had to eat, didn't we? It all started with Eve eating that apple, and ever since, we haven't been able to get enough food. Literally, the only thing I can count on my kids not eating is anything labeled healthy, gluten-free, or vegetable medley. Other than that, it's gone from the fridge or pantry faster than you can say double-stuffed Oreos. But rather than dwell on the fact that we like our food in the Smith-Reynolds household, let's dive into some of the tastiest morsels from around the globe. In this episode, I'll hit the culinary highlights from great U.S. foodie destinations like Kansas City, New York, Chicago, Austin, Baltimore, Memphis, and Albuquerque, and cover some unusual foods from uh, some other places. So let's start off with some facts. There are five major food groups. We used to learn about these in school, but uh, now they've been replaced by Sanskrit and comic book art. Uh, Those are real subjects for another podcast, possibly. The first food group is grains, which are the carbs. Number two, fruits and vegetables. Number three, dairy and milk products. Number four, meat, fish, and eggs, which are the proteins. And number five, fats and sugars, which is pretty much everyone's favorite. Yes. Well, one out of five ain't bad. But the idea is to eat from each food group without spending too much time in one or two. Like, for instance, fats and sugars and grains. Because let's be honest, that's where all the good foods are, correct? Like cereal and the grains. Yes, there are copious amounts of sugar, but let's give cereal the benefit of the doubt for now. Ice cream, fats and sugars. Cinnamon rolls, fats and sugars, and grains, a twofer. Chocolate, fats and sugars. No, the cocoa bean is not a protein, and the milk chocolate is not dairy. Sorry. Uh, what? For a well-balanced daily intake... Nutritionists say we'll need five plus portions of fruits and vegetables. No grape jelly is not counted as a fruit and five green beans are not five servings, especially if they're deep fried and dipped in ranch dressing. Three to four portions of grains and FYI toast made from rainbow bread is not considered a grain. My kids call it daycare toast, by the way, two to three portions of meat, fish, and eggs. And do I really need to tell you that a Wendy's double or a Chick-fil-A sandwich is not counted in your meat portions? Two to three portions of dairy, a big double nope to extra thick strawberry milkshakes as dairy or fruit. And lastly, they say that we need no more than three tablespoons of fats and sugars per day. I'm telling you, the pint of Haagen-Dazs with whipped cream, chocolate, and caramel is way more than three tablespoons. So, okay, we've established most Americans eat badly. But those of you that are reevaluating your diet, just hang on. I'm not here to meal shame you. In fact, I'm going to turn the corner and discuss the most decadent and tasty foods in America. And I'm not even going to make you or I feel bad about it. So sit back, grab a Snickers, and hold on tight. What makes me, Mark Smith, an authority on good food, you ask? Well, for starters, I was raised in a family of very good cooks. And when I say very good cooks, we're talking about the kind that have perfected and passed recipes down for generations. The kind of recipes that came over from the old country. My family was Scotch-Irish. We came to this country right around the year 1649 and perfected cooking meals for the family for three and a half centuries before it landed in my belly at an early age. On top of that, I was afforded the opportunity to travel to all but three states in the U.S., Sampling some of the best cuisine imaginable, like lobster from the waters of New England. The hardy people of New England lobstering in the cold, salty waters off the coast give us some of the best lobster in the world. What happened when the female fisherman was late for work? Well, She lobster job. We'll also be covering pizza from New York and Chicago, although the best is from neither place. A surprise winner for best pizza in America coming up shortly. Crab cakes from Maryland. Well, you will never hear, hey, you're using too much Old Bay seasoning. Barbecue from Texas, Kansas City, St. Louis, Memphis, and the Carolinas. Which is best? Well, it depends on several things, but to me, there is a clear winner. Stay tuned for the 411 on that. The great Mexican food debate of New Mexico and Arizona. What separates good food from great food? Well, the Arizona and New Mexico border does, and we'll tell you which side is which. And some strange and interesting foods, starting in Colorado, where the mountains are stoned and the people are high, or is it the other way around? Well, I I guess it's either or in that state. Just know the Gumby Bear in Colorado may have you a mile high before you can say Willie Nelson. Let's dive right in with the best lobster, like ever. The best lobster in the US and the best in the world is from Maine. When you can walk up to literally any place on the state's coast to get a fantastic lobster, you have the absolute best lobster on the planet. The Gulf of Maine is the best place to catch the alien looking crustacean, but the annual Maine Lobster Festival is held a little south of there in Rockland. Five days of music, parades, pirate ship tours with cannons and Blackbeard himself, the Coast Guard, arts and crafts, beer, And of course, lobster, 21,000 pounds of it to be exact from lobster rolls to lobster donuts to lobster, pet food, (laughs) pet food. Listen, when my dog eats better than I do, Houston, we have a problem, but the whole event culminates with the crowning of the Maine sea goddess, someone between the ages of 16 and 22 that has a passion for being the advocate for lobster. I'm sure in Maine, those qualifications are never hard to find. As far as the most decadent lobster dish, there are several to choose from. Lobster Thermidor, which is tender lobster tail covered in a rich sauce of white wine, heavy cream, and a bevy of fresh herbs and Parmesan cheese, and lots of it. For presentation, it is served in the lobster tail itself. When done properly, a work of art. There's also lobster bisque, lobster pasta, tasty lobster rolls, but for the most decadent dish Made from Maine's most famous offshore resident, look no further than extra creamy lobster mac and cheese. I pick this as my number one lobster creation for its simplicity, amazing flavors, and surprisingly low price. You can stretch two or three lobster tails into a creamy, buttery dish big enough to feed a crowd. What a way to cross America's number one comfort food with the best white meat the ocean has to offer. Why did the lobster cross the road? Because it wanted to get to the other tide. From lobster, we now turn our attention to pizza. You know, I've always wanted to open a restaurant that serves lobster pizza. Call it Pizza Crust Station. I've always fancied myself as a pizza connoisseur, traveling the U.S. looking for the best pizza in America. And I think I know what I'm talking about, but don't take my word for it. When I asked my wife, Kim, honey, am I the leading authority on pizza that you know? Her comment was, and I quote, get out of here, I'm taking a bath. Well, my timing may be off, but my knowledge of great pizza is not. So where is the best pizza in the United States? Let's start with the two most famous cities, both fighting for the heavyweight title for decades now, New York and Chicago. New York has been the self-proclaimed ground zero of pizza since Gennaro Lombardi started Lombardi's Pizza in 1905 gennaro's is still making new york pizza almost 120 years later but new yorkers will tell you the best pizza comes from the little mom and pop locations throughout the city in fact if they don't have a guy named tony anthony to his mom throwing pizza dough in the air and yelling ma i need more cheese up front or if the name of the restaurant doesn't end in a vowel then just walk on by that gennaro's was the first pizza is a fact that is now being disputed however an employee named Antonio Totono Pero, both a Tony and Naval, started making pizzas in the Lombardi grocery store where he worked. It became such a success that he opened his own restaurant in 1924 called Totonos. So although Lombardi's was the first pizza place, Antonio Totono Pero should have been credited as the number one first pizza maker. I'm just here to set the record straight. Tony, you're the first pizza maker in New York. New York pizza is known for three things. The hand-tossed thin crust to fold when eating. The rich, thick tomato sauce. Full-fat mozzarella cheese. And a fourth ingredient, which some people say is the most important, although I will argue it. The New York City tap water used to make the pizza dough is said to add a certain flavor and texture due to its minerals. Of all the things I could go to New York for, to me, drinking the tap water would fall just below getting mugged in Brooklyn. And just for that reason, and that I think New York pizza is a bit overrated, I'm placing New York third on my list of best pizza cities. Number two on my list of best pizza cities is called by several names. The Windy City, the Second City, and the City of Big Shoulders, to name a few. The last one was news to me, but apparently refers to the broad shoulders of the working people of Chicago. The more you know. Chicago is known for its deep dish pizza, thick baked crust with loads of chunky tomato sauce, cheese, and toppings pack this pizza with layers of flavor. There are discrepancies as to who started the whole deep dish style. Rudy Malnati, Ike Sewell, and Michelle Moore all lay claim to inventing deep dish style pizza. I'm settling the score today. The winner is Rudy Malnati, because he just sounds like he invented pizza. Ike Sewell sounds like he sells furniture, and Michelle Moore sounds like a dentist. Plus, I've had Malnati's pizza, and they are worth sacrificing your soul for. Chicago also invented the stuffed crust pizza. And there is no argument who that distinction goes to. Giordano's has been around since 1974 and added a layer of crust on the top of the deep dish to make an Italian pizza pie. Giordano's has changed hands a couple times and opened several other locations around the U.S. and the pizza and flavor has unfortunately suffered in my opinion because of all that but it's still worth a trip to Chicago to the original location on North Rush Street to excite your taste buds. Bring a hearty appetite and a Kevlar vest. But Chicago is only number two on my list of best pizzas, and my number one city for pizza may surprise you. My pick for the best pizza in the U.S. is... Detroit! Uh, what? Yes, Detroit. If you haven't had Detroit-style pizza, you are really missing out. Now, if you don't like thick crust, you may not feel the same way I do about this decadent pizza, but then again... I did like thin crust better at one time too, until I had this. The first thing you notice is the shape. Instead of the circular pizza pie, Detroit style is square. So a slice is essentially a smaller square. The next thing is the edge of the pizza. It's normally topped to the edges with cheese, which causes a crispy caramelization against the famous heavy steel pan, making for a crisp, buttery crust that will crunch every time you take a bite. I mentioned the pans. They are so important to the pizza because some have been used for up to 75 years and are rumored to be actual drip pans once used in the auto industry. In 1946, a place called Buddy's Rendezvous opened and later renamed itself Buddy's Pizza due to that being their signature dish. Buddy's was sold in 1953 and the owners, Gus and Anna Guerra, opened Cloverleaf Pizza. One of their former employees, Louis Totoy, also left to open Louis's Pizza, which was an instant hit, and Louis became known as the king of pizza. Today, Detroit-style pizza has been named one of the hottest food trends in America by Esquire magazine, although people in Detroit are wondering, what the heck took the rest of us so long? In 2020, Buddy's, Louis, Cloverleaf, and a fourth called Soprino's were all named four of the best pizza places in America by Daily Mail. You know, if you can't make it to Detroit, and let's be honest, who really wants to vacation in Detroit, Motor City Pizza can be found frozen near your local supermarket. Now, I know frozen pizza isn't close to a freshly made pizza, but it will be one of the best frozen pizzas you've ever had, if not the best. Mark my word. From the bullet-ridden streets of Detroit, we travel back to the coast and settle into the state of Babe Ruth, the first dental school, and the state with the oldest saloon in the country named The Horse You Rode In On, which I have coincidentally been to. If those didn't give it away, this will for sure. The Ouija board was also invented here. Okay, yes, we all know now we're talking about the state of Maryland with its strange coastline, weird state flag, but the best crab cakes in the country. Why are Maryland crabs better than crab from the other three top crab states of Louisiana, Texas, or North Carolina? Well, it's all in the mustard. And the mustard, you ask, is a bright yellow substance called hepatopancreas that is part of the digestive system. In actuality, it's kind of gross to look at, but crabby connoisseurs say it gives Maryland's crab a sweet, aromatic flavor and taste. The best time to get crab in Maryland is really any time, except the holidays. During the holidays, the demand is so high that the crabbers lower their rating, thus catching and distributing smaller and lighter crabs that normally probably wouldn't be sold as high-dollar crustaceans. The Maryland crab makes the best crab cakes in the seven seas, that is for certain. The ingredients of breadcrumbs, mayo, mustard, egg, parsley, Worcester sauce, and Old Bay seasoning is really nothing to write home about. But when you add that fresh, sweet Maryland blue crab, it transforms into a mouthwatering enjoyment for the senses. In other words, it's just darn good. I'm sure you can get authentic crab cakes anywhere, but only in Maryland will the crab be the freshest, sweetest, and authentically crabalicious. From here we hop on a plane and travel to five different destinations looking for the country's best barbecue. Austin, Kansas City, St. Louis, Memphis, and Lexington, North Carolina. Now, if you ask 20 different barbecue lovers where the best barbecue is, you very well may get 20 different answers. And that's just fine because half the fun of picking your best barbecue is trying them all out. Let's start in Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas has forever been known as a foodie town. With the University of Texas, downtown's great live music scene, think Austin City Limits, And the bevy of high-tech giants moving in to create Silicon Hills, the restaurants in Austin have seen increased competition and been upping their game over the past 10 years. And if you're coming to Austin, you have to sink your teeth into some Texas barbecue. Now, Texas barbecue can be pork, chicken, or beef, but Texas is known for their brisket. Whether it's East, South, or the more famous Central Texas barbecue, there is no better brisket in the world and Texas barbecue sauce is smokier than the rest as they use more cumin and chili powder and less ketchup or tomato paste. Austin has four of the top 50 barbecue joints in the U.S. within its city limits, and another three just outside for a total of seven that are widely regarded as the best of the best. Barbecue is really a religion in Texas. A pit master once said, there's just something magical about the combination of smoke, fire, and perfectly grilled meat. For me, Franklin's Barbecue in Austin and Snow's just outside the city are two of the best. Franklin's is more widely known, with several celebrities and famous people having eaten there. But Snow's is maybe a little off the beaten path, but just as famous. People come from all around the country to taste the smoked goodness from Tootsie Tominitz and Carrie Bexley of Snow's. Two of the very few female pitmasters in the country, but two of the very best. Barbecue has always been a man's world, but once you taste barbecue from snows, you may never trust a man to smoke your meat again. Next, let's start up the car and travel north to the town that was almost named Possum Trot, and that's Kansas City. The Kansas City Chiefs dodged a bullet on that one for sure. Possum Trot, or... Or uh, Kansas City is known for a few things, but none more than barbecue. They boast several of the most well-known barbecue joints in the country like KC Masterpiece, Gates Barbecue, and Arthur Bryant's. But the best may come from another set of female pitmasters, Mary and Deborah Jones at Jones Barbecue. If you're thinking of heading to Kansas City to visit Jones, well, they're only open Tuesday through Thursday from 1045 to 230 or until they're sold out, which typically happens every day before 2.30. You have to get there early if you want to taste the best in Kansas City, so I would suggest calling the day before and reserving your order so you won't be disappointed. Kansas City Barbecue is more about the sauce, though. It's definitely more sweet and tangy than Texas Barbecue, with the addition of molasses, onions, and liquid smoke to the ketchup base. But is it the best barbecue in the nation? Mm Mm-mm. Well, we will see. Next, we'll travel east and a tad south to North Carolina. We'll sample Lexington or Western barbecue, where they are all about the red sauce made from vinegar, tomatoes, and red pepper flakes that give a little kick. They also add barbecue slaw to the top of the sandwich, whether you want it or not. And my advice is to take it and not say a word. They love their Lexington style and don't take kindly to people criticizing their barbecue. Nope. This might be my least favorite because I just didn't grow up with a style of sauce or smoking. I apologize to any of you people from North Carolina out there. I just don't get it. However, U.S. News and World Report ranked Lexington, North Carolina as the fourth best city in the U.S. for barbecue. Of course, let's be honest with ourselves. It was U.S. News and World Report. That's like Good Housekeeping ranking the best cordless hammer drills or Field and Stream ranking the best anti-aging moisturizers. That being said, Lexington, North Carolina is the home to the Lexington Barbecue Festival every October, which is listed in the book, 1,000 Places to See Before You Die. Now, I haven't read that book, but 1,000 Places is a whole lot for one person to see before they die. But if you have a barbecue bucket list, mm, which really isn't a bad idea, is it? then Lexington, North Carolina may have to be included. I mean, U.S. News & Report gives it a high mark, right? Next on the list is the great city of St. Louis, known for a massive arch, Anheuser-Busch, the world's largest brewing company, the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, I dislike the cards, but they do employ my favorite player, Nolan Arenado, and the third highest crime rate in the U.S., In fact, you have a 1 in 14 chance of being the victim of a violent crime in St. Louis. So if violent crime, Nolan Arenado, or Budweiser aren't your thing, St. Louis is also one of the barbecue capitals of the world with its St. Louis pork-style ribs slathered in their special sauce, which is basically Kansas City barbecue sauce with vinegar added to make it a little bit thinner, but more savory than sweet. Today, St. Louis consumes more barbecue sauce per person than anywhere in the country, but what places are the best in the show-me state? Pappy's Smokehouse is widely regarded as one of the best in nearly every best-of-the-best magazines in St. Louis. Being that it makes everyone's list, I'll put it at the top even though I've not personally been there, but my favorite is Sugarfire Smokehouse chef mike johnson has worked with the best chefs and smokers in the world today and mashed them all together to put his one-of-a-kind spin on st louis q his restaurant is most likely the best in st louis but because he has other things other than barbecue try the cuban reuben oh my god i'll have to give sugarfire the first runner-up to pappy's if for some reason pappy cannot fulfill his duties then mike and sugarfire will take over as champion of st louis <music> The last stop, but certainly not the least, for Great Q is Memphis, Tennessee. Home to the second most barbecue joints on the list of 50 best behind Austin, and having the designation of being the most violent city in America, making St. Louis look a little tame by comparison. What makes Memphis barbecue so good is a smoker's use of charcoal instead of wood to impart a milder but juicier flavor into the meat. The Memphis sauce can be thick or thin but always tangy with some heat that goes from mild to tongue-scorching hot. They will add brown sugar and mustard for more depth of flavor. Personally, Memphis sauce is a close second to Kansas City as my favorite, but the meats aren't as smoky as I like. I once went to a vegan barbecue in Memphis. I thought the vegan was a bit overcooked, though. It is very tasty barbecue, though, but I don't want to tip my hand just yet. The best places to find good barbecue in Memphis are these three. Charlie Virgo's Rendezvous, smoking since the 1940s. Today, it's owned by Robert Stewart, who took Charlie's recipe and improved upon it to make the best cue in the city. Cozy Corner, if Charlie's is number one, then Cozy Corner's is probably 1A. The smoked meats may not be as good, but the sauces are second to none, especially if you like it hot. They have mild, medium, and hot, but beware that the medium may toast your taste buds more than you think. And third, Interstate Barbecue. Interstate is another that could easily be number one on any given week, depending on which way the wind's blowing. Literally. They've consistently ranked amongst the top joints in the city since 1979. They have great ribs, but try the pulled pork sandwiches. I'd say they are to die for, but the original Interstate isn't in a great neighborhood, so... We've been to five great barbecue cities in the U.S., There are others, but none hold a candle top to bottom to these mega giants of the smoker. My top picks are here. For sauce, Kansas City with an honorable mention to Memphis. For meat, Texas all day long, baby. No one doesn't like Texas and Austin reigns supreme in the Lone Star State. And for overall best barbecue, right back to Austin. You literally can find five great barbecue joints within a seven iron away from each other. When the restaurants are that good and that plentiful, you have to say Texas is the barbecue capital of the world. From Texas, we travel due west on I-10 to the states of New Mexico and Arizona to find out once and for all who has the best Mexican food. First, we didn't include Texas. Even though some of the best Mexican food in the United States might be in the border city of Brownsville, the majority of the southwestern flavor in the Lone Star State is Tex-Mex, their version of Mexican food with more American ingredients. Though it is very good, we are looking for authentic Mexican food, and the American southwest is the place to find it north of the border. Let's begin in the capital of Santa Fe. There are several fantastic places to eat in Santa Fe, Tomasitas, La Chosa, Gabrielle's. And although my accent may be unauthentic, these places are the real deal. But the one place that has withstood the test of time for over 60 years is Maria's. Maria's has been serving up great stuffed sopapillas, tamales, and my personal favorite, blue corn enchiladas with her famous green chili, to locals and visitors alike for over six decades. Exquisite. Next, let's drive an hour south to the city of Albuquerque, known not only for the largest hot air balloon festival in the world, but where I personally lost $200 in the Isleta Casino in about five minutes. Oh, and they also have some of the best Mexican food as well. They have dozens of great Mexican eateries in Albuquerque, but to this guy, two stand out among all the rest. There are 251 Mexican restaurants in Albuquerque, and all of them are fantastic. I've picked two. These are my favorites. This is my podcast, so you just have to trust me on this one. For food, Sadie's of New Mexico is the cream of the very talented crop. In business since 1954, Sadie's is not only a local favorite, but a favorite for tourists as well. You can't go wrong with anything on the menu, but the stuffed sopapillas with their legendary green chili is my personal favorite. For ambiance, New Mexico is known for its airy and spacious outdoor seating and Albuquerque has a multitude of them. But the one that has stood out since 1962 is the famous El Pinto restaurant. Not only is the patio one of the most spacious and beautiful in the US, but the food is pretty darn good too. Start out with the best nachos in the world, a bold statement to be sure, then enjoy their tasty chili rellenos made with fire roasted New Mexico hatched chili peppers. You can also enjoy their beautiful patio during their Sunday brunch. Get the blue corn blueberry pancakes. You're welcome. Let's travel a little further west on I-10 to the Grand Canyon State of Arizona, where the average summer temperature is 106. Not high, but the average temperature. Well, the average summer temperature is 106. Not high, but the average temperature. I just want to make sure you got that last part, just in case you're going to Arizona anytime soon. With temperature soaring over 110 degrees for 27 straight days so far this year, you'd think the medium rare people of Arizona would be more concerned with ice cream and aloe vera But oddly enough, they like Mexican food, a lot. There are way too many to choose from, but one of the overwhelming favorites since 1922 is El Charro Cafe in Tucson. Though the recipes have been followed precisely for 100 years, their food is still among the best in the US, not just Arizona. If the sweltering heat of Tucson is just too much to get a great meal, then head up to Flagstaff where the average temperatures in the summer are much milder, 80 degrees, and visit Las Gorditas. The family-owned restaurant boasts authentic Mexican dishes made from scratch daily. They have a large, extensive menu, but if you go, you do have to try the mole. Be warned, you may not wanna have it anywhere else ever again. I know you'll notice I didn't include any places in Phoenix, though they have dozens of Mexican joints that could have easily made this list, but here's why. No place in Phoenix is better than El Charro Cafe. No place. Sorry. And if you don't want to saute in your own sweat in Tucson, Phoenix really isn't much better. Just head to a much milder Flagstaff and enjoy not being cremated during dinner. My overall pick for the best Mexican food in a place not called Brownsville, Texas. Well, that distinction goes to New Mexico now i know every person in Arizona just turned me off and never to listen again but Arizona and really every state has americanized mexican food over the years but new mexico cuisine is just more flavorful and has stayed the most authentic over time as well as you can eat outside in the summertime that in itself is a winner in this final segment let's talk strange foods of the U S now this isn't strange foods of the world because we've all seen bizarre foods or delicious destinations with Andrew Zern. And if you haven't, I suggest you pause this podcast right now and go watch. I will wait. Okay. I'm really not pausing for everyone, but if you did just return after watching six seasons of bizarre foods, six seasons of bizarre foods, America, and another 19 seasons of delicious destinations, then you most likely forgot what you were doing here anyway. A few moments later. So let me refresh your memory. We're discussing strange foods of the US and I'm starting with the tourist food of Rocky Mountain oysters. Now we all know what these are by now, but if you don't, spoiler alert, they are bowl testicles, battered and deep fried. No one but tourists or newbies order these, but everyone has to try them once. People say they taste like chicken. I say they taste like fried mushrooms. But Eagle, Idaho claims to have the largest Rocky Mountain oyster feed in the world. A fun day for families, but not so much for the bulls. FYI, the proceeds go to benefit the Idaho Horse Council, which is kind of in your face to the bulls, isn't it? (laughs) Lamb fries are like Rocky Mountain oysters, except they come from a lamb or mutton. Their popularity grew when Chevy Chase's character in Funny Farm was about to break a local record of eating 30 lamb fries only to spit out the record breaker when he found out what it was. That's just nuts. (laughs) Scrapple is a German dish where you make words from pork scraps, flour, and cornmeal. Okay, but Scrapple is a German dish made of pork scraps, flour, and cornmeal, packed in a loaf pan and baked then sliced, fried, and served for breakfast on a sandwich. I've had it, and it's not bad. It's not good, but it's not bad. It would be better if it was served with bacon, eggs, pancakes, and maple sausage, which I would eat and then have no room for the scrapple. Now, burgu is an interesting dish. Traditional burgoo is a stew made from anything company brought over to contribute to the community pot and let cook for hours or days. And by anything... I'm particularly referring to anything found on the road within the last couple days. Squirrel, possum, deer, or raccoon to be exact. Okay, it was most likely shot and not found already deceased. But either way, I've had the opportunity uh, to try this and it was interesting. I didn't ask what the protein was, as I (coughs) really didn't want to know. It was chewy and spicy and washed down with copious amounts of alcohol. Fried squirrel. Now, squirrel could have been a meat of choice in my burgoo, but fried squirrel is actually quite okay. Apparently, it needs to marinate in buttermilk for 24 to 48 hours to extract the gamey taste and soften that tough meat of a squirrel, but mine tasted a lot like chicken. Now, I know everyone says that about everything, but it really did. Alligator. Yes, gator isn't just for breakfast anymore. We're eating in the Southeast at every fair, carnival, and redneck dinner table from here to Disney World. Yes, it's very good. And yes, it tastes like chicken. A coolicle? A coolicle is an interesting blend of dill pickle and Kool-Aid. Nope, I haven't tried it. And nope, I doubt it tastes like chicken. But here's an even more interesting one. Nutria. If you live in Louisiana, you most likely have tried Nutria at least once. Kind of like living in Colorado and trying Rocky Mountain oysters. But if you live literally anywhere else, you may have never even heard of it. And that's just fine. It's a dirty river rat that, according to people that have eaten it, tastes like a mix between a dirty river rat and a dirtier river rat. Mm -mm -mm. (laughs) Mm-mm-mm. And last but certainly not least, we travel back to New Mexico for the green chili Sunday. And that Sunday, by the way, is one with ice cream, not the one after Saturday. Invented in New Mexico, the Sunday is a perfect blend of sweet, salty, cold, and spicy. It's frozen custard or ice cream topped with green chili sauce whipped cream, and pecans. I'm not sure if it sounds great, but it definitely sounds better than Nutria sunday That will conclude our look at the best foods and restaurants in the country, looking through the eyes and stomach of yours truly. Opinions and lists are always meant to be debatable, but a wise man once said, you are not entitled to your opinion, you are only entitled to what you can factually debate. In other words, if you think New York pizza is better than Detroit, give me facts, receipts and eyewitness testimony and be ready to come on the podcast and debate your position for at least 30 minutes. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Irrational Realist please subscribe to The Irrational Realist for the latest episode every two weeks. For now, thank you for listening and remember podcast spelled backwards is taco if the S, D, and P are silent.